Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 222 of Bat Flips and Maple Dips. I love it when we get these numbers, Justin, where it's uh, like it's round like that. Two, two, two. Isn't that kind of fun? It's nice. I do. I do enjoy that as well. Yeah, That's, I like. Uh, you're, you're like me. It's, yeah. It's kind of, it's, I like that. Yeah. I also like. For some reason, I have this weird affinity for like multiples of five. For some reason, but. You know, like when you have the TV remote, I don't like it being on an odd number unless it's a five. Is that a thing? It's weird for me. Yeah. Like I like even numbers and I like multiples of five. <laughs> yeah. That, I don't know okay. What it is. I've had other weird. people in my life tell me this, like the multiple of five thing with the, with the sound and like I'll sometimes when maybe I'm just a bastard, but like when I have people around to do that, I'll put the volume on like 13 yes yeah, that... i i was just playing the witcher as you know before we did this and i keep the volume on my tv at 12 for it it's just where i keep it <laughs> when i'm playing on my xbox tv it's at 12 it's a ritual thing for yeah you, like... and it's just it's a okay. good volume it's 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 loud enough that i'm immersed in the game without having to wear my headset because i sit like four feet away from the screen and it's like not too quiet and, but the good thing about the other room, like in our big TV room, we have a sound bar that does not have like, it doesn't tell you what the volume is at. It just like gets louder or quieter. So I never know if it's on like 17 or something weird. It's just no numbers. So, <laughs> so you're not constantly using a gaming headset? Not constantly. No, I usually, typically I only wear my headset if I'm playing with people and I'm talking to them or if. Like if Terran's around and I don't want to have my game volume annoying anybody, but with Terran being away for school, I'm just letting it hang out, you know, as they say. Sometimes <laughs> I will put them on. Well, definitely because like I have a different sleep schedule than my my spouse does. Mm -hmm. But when she goes to bed, I'll put it on, but uh, put on the headphones. But sometimes yeah. I also will do the other thing where uh like i'll just put it on just because i enjoy the intimacy of having the headset on and listening to something that nobody else can listen to very fair yeah i don't know that sounds weird but that's what i that's what it is no no i i've definitely done that before like i mean it's i find like the like i'm like my fourth playthrough of the witcher i find like the first time i play a game i'll wear the headset yeah. just to really like you said it you get immersed in it right like it's it's yeah. that intimate feeling of it's like it's just you and the and the story and it's like yeah it's you're completely involved in it then but now i'm kind of just like going through the motions in a sense and just doing things differently the fourth time around <laughs> like, yeah yeah so I, I yeah i totally get what you mean though well if in case you haven't figured it out we're a baseball podcast and we're, <laughs> we're probably both wearing headphones gaming. right now <laughs> we're both wearing headphones right now yeah this is patrick in halifax nova scotia's justin in saskatoon saskatchewan uh, you guys know who we are, and uh, we thank you for listening. Uh, again, I'm just so kind of like shocked at how many people actually listen to this. It's very cool. If you like what we do, follow us on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. DM or tweet us your questions. We're on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Website BFMDPodcast.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the episode. We got a lot of stuff to talk about uh, and not a lot of time to do it, so we're going to jump right into it. Uh, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame results. We're going to talk about uh, the Blue Jay connections to it. We're going to talk about uh, the return of a very important piece of the Sportsnet team, and uh, we're going to talk about a player who I'm. I need some. I need somebody to sell me on it. 
Uh, and that's going to be Justin because we don't have any guests today. So I'm kind of excited. But Justin, if you don't mind, I'd really like to take the lead on the Hall of Fame thing. It's something that we talk about. I was suggest that. <laughs> every year we, we talk about this. And every year I get excited. Uh, I, just, I don't know why. I'm very invested in, in this, in the voting. I pay attention to Mr. Tibbs' uh, Hall of Fame tracker. This year, uh, a very interesting, actually, kind of story. Uh, only one player from, I guess, what you would call the modern or new, like new era or recent era was elected to the Hall of Fame this year. And we had one player uh, so far confirmed from the, quote, modern day uh, from the, uh, the committee mm-hmm. that, that makes this decision. Um, let's just get right to it. Third baseman Scott Rowland elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame with 297 votes, good for 76.3% in his sixth year. Uh, Scotty Rowland, one of the best third base uh, anythings of all time. Just an unbelievable player and a former Blue Jay. (laughs) Blue Jay's legend, Scott Rowland. Yeah, that's right. But, I mean, he'll almost certainly be going in as a Philly. I can't see... I, I can't see an argument for any, anything else, but I mean, you could but, argue the Cardinals. He was there for quite a while too. And he was a four-time all-star with them and yeah, yeah. won three gold gloves as a Cardinal. So, I mean, you could argue that too. That, yeah, that's fair. I see him either going in as a Philly or with a blank cap. I think fair the enough. blank cap thing is going to be a regular thing now. I'm going to bet just... Cardinals. I'm going to go, I'm going to go against you okay. here. We'll find out. I haven't looked at. I haven't Googled anything to see if he, if that decision's already been made. Maybe yeah, while either. I'm talking about Scotty Rowland, you can look it up. Sure. Um, while you're doing that, though, there there was a very cool tweet that came out. I don't know this guy, and I don't I don't even know if I trust blue check marks anymore on Twitter. Uh, Eno Saris at E N O S A R R I S. I don't know who this dude is. Um, I'm sure it's somebody I should know. Uh, but uh, there was an interesting tweet about Scott Rowland's rank among Hall of Fame third basemen. Maybe it's because this was on Reddit and people were responding to it that I picked it. But uh, among the 19 third basemen who have been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame, that's a really low number, by the way. I thought there would be a lot more. There, there is not. Uh, among the 19 third basemen, Scott Rowland ranks eighth in F War. Uh, which is wins above replacement, if you're uh, a, a, an old school fan and not familiar with advanced metrics. Uh, I don't want to get into the calculation of that, but he's in the upper half of the t- of the 19 who have been elected. Home runs, he's seventh. Stolen bases, weird stat to pick, but okay, eighth. Uh, defensively, he is third, and on base percentage, he is eleventh. Um, pretty good case. Just by those numbers alone. Uh, defensively, though, I think is what gets it for me. Definitely one of the best third basemen defensively of all time. Obviously, I don't think he would rank ahead of uh, Mike Schmidt or... Uh, I believe Brooks Robinson was a third baseman, was he not? Perhaps. And yes, he was. for you yes. on the, uh, the cap. No, not sure yet, but it'll be either Phillies or Cardinals. So Really? One of the two, yeah. If he if he does choose to, I mean, there's always a possibility he goes with the blank cap. Blank cap, but yep. like, yep. There's nothing. That's what Maddox did, I think. Yeah, and so did Roy yep. Halladay after he after his passing, his family chose to 
put him in as a blank cap, which was fair in my opinion. Um, it is, anyway, yeah, it's fair. Yeah, um, so yeah, blank. We're not sure yet. There's no word. I mean, it's just seems like it's kind of an online debate right now. I don't think Roland's actually waiting on it yet. So, not something you have to decide until closer to. I think. Yeah. Um. Boy. When you look at the company that he's in, when it comes to comparing him to other third basemen, being mentioned in the same sentence as Brooks Robinson and uh, and Mike Schmidt, mm-hmm. that is elite company. That's pretty amazing. I'll, I would probably put Schmidt ahead of uh, Roland. No, uh, no offense intended there. I just think Schmidt had a better career. But but I mean, yeah, I mean Brooks Robinson. Right. 10th out of out of uh 15 third baseman in the hall of fame in, in terms of the stat the stats that baseball reference tracked so he's right in the middle basically so definitely yeah he belongs him. he oh, belongs yeah. in the hall of fame it was kind of interesting because last year i think we talked a little bit about him being like we weren't sure if he'd ever get the votes i don't remember exactly what it was we said but still great job for him congratulations todd helton just missed uh getting inducted uh, he had, a, I think, the largest increase in percentage of votes this year. Uh, he got 20% more votes, uh, just 72.2%. So he misses the mark by just a few v- votes, maybe five or six. You got to think he gets in next year with that, hey? With that kind of gain? Yep, I'm absolutely. I'm pretty sure the was... big guys on the ballot next year, the new players, I think it's Maurer and Adrian Beltre. So that'll be fun. Uh, Adrian Beltre will be a first ballot. It will be... Uh, like high 90s um yeah Maurer's interesting we'll have to talk about him another time but yeah yeah i would say i i wouldn't if it were me based on catcher metrics Maurer's definitely in but Mm -hmm. i we can argue that another time yeah but todd helton do you think todd helton should be a hall of famer yes i think uh i'm with you much the same as how larry walker had the coors thing against him helton has much face the same um luckily for helton he won't have to wait till his final year like larry did to get in he's still got five more years i mean he's less than three percent away so i mean he probably needs what like another 10 votes oh barely uh, to get it yeah so i mean you got to think that there'll be some new voters next year as some people like stop voting or they retire whatever it is and don't get their vote again and i mean you got to think that Helton will be be able to get in there next year. I think so too. Uh, another player who was close but uh, is uh, off by about twenty votes. Uh, Billy Wagner. Uh, Wagner received the second largest increase mm-hmm. in votes. He's been gaining now ever since we started this podcast. And every year I say the same thing. <laughs> He's getting in. Uh, this was his eighth kick at the can. Uh, seeing a pretty dramatic increase in his vote percentage, but still a little bit shy. Justin, we, we've debated this now, I think, five years in a row, four, four or five years in a row. Is Billy Wagner a Hall of Famer in your mind? Yeah, I think he is. Um, I know you like closers a lot, and <laughs> yeah, I know what your answer is. But, yeah, no, I, I, I do think that he is. Um, and the way that he was able to gain this year, uh, was was great. It was nice to see a bunch of players really make jumps, um, kind of in the back half of their eligibility. And with a couple of years left for Wagner, even if he doesn't get in next year, you got to think that he can gain the seven percent that he or the uh, yeah the seven percent that he needs in the next couple of years. So, 
Yeah, I think I would. I think Helton and Wagner get in next year along with Adrian Beltre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm calling the shot now. Um, just a couple of other things of note. Big dramatic increase in votes for Andrew Jones. Not a surprise there at all. There's about been a time. lot of... What's that? I said it's about time. <laughs> yep. Uh, people are finally starting to come around, uh, understanding the impact that Andrew Jones had on the game. Yeah, he was a one defensive wizard in, out, in the outfield. Like, yeah, one, one of, of the best, best defenders of all time. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think he's still probably... Needs another year. It's hard to say, but a big dramatic increase. He had the third most increase in uh, votes by percentage mm-hmm. this year. And, uh, of course, uh, just slightly behind him. Uh, we're not going to go down the whole list, but I'll say Gary Sheffield is kind of interesting because it, he's in his ninth year. He looks like he, you know, based on the percentages, he's gaining momentum, but I don't know if it's going to be enough. Uh, he may it's have to rely on the committee. Yeah. yeah, he might have to rely on the committee. Uh, if that, you know, depending on how they feel about certain things, uh, mm-hmm. Carlos Beltran in his first L- year of eligibility, 46.5%. It's a high percentage. Uh, I think he takes a huge hit because of the Houston Astros controversy, possibly. Yeah. I don't know if he was ever implicated for use of performance enhancing. I don't know if he not. ever had any PED links, but definitely the Astros yeah thing. he was a, a big part of that so yeah i don't know what it is jeff kent had the exact same number of votes he falls off the ballot uh he had some things to say you can just go google it um yeah, I, don't, I didn't even see it so i can't yeah. even comment on it but yeah a-rod no, I mean, didn't even gain uh, i think a-rod gained two votes yeah he was a very <laughs> small gainer this year yeah <laughs> yep uh and then a bunch of guys fell off the list our boy mark burley hanging in there uh yeah. good for him uh, I think I'd like to just leave it at that as far as those players. And then, of course, uh, the committee, the Veterans Committee, did elect a player with 100% of the votes. Uh, Fred McGriff, former Toronto Blue Jay. Crime dog. The crime dog uh, named after uh, McGruff, mm-hmm. I think it is. That is the actual name of the the, the character he's named after. Gotta love him. He hit 493 home runs, 284 lifetime average. Uh, started his career in Toronto with the Blue Jays. Perhaps best known for his time in Atlanta, where he did win a World Series in 1995. Uh, three-time Silver Slugger. Was the home run leader twice, 89 and 92. So right in the middle of, you know, the Bash Brothers run. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was there mashing uh, more home runs than anybody else. It's the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee that elected him, by the way. Um, if you don't mind Googling it while we're talking about it, I don't know who he, if he has said anything, I would assume because he works for the Atlanta Braves uh, that he, pro- as a special assistant to base in uh, to baseball operations with the Braves, I uh, probably will it's, go in yeah, as a Brave. He's the same as Roll, and there's been no decision made yet uh, uh the, yeah. the the argument is probably i mean it's i mean it's probably atlanta to be fair yep but. equal amount of time with both the uh blue jays and the Braves as a player but i think it's most prolific the more prolific years for for the crime dog would have been with atlanta with that team that was just so good not that the jays weren't yeah. i just don't the thing about the thing about my griff like that always 
just amazes me is how kind of how consistent he was throughout his whole career. The guy just like he hit like 30 home runs basically every year of his career. Um, yeah. We're very close to kind of thing. He's just very played until he was 40. Yeah, just incredibly consistent. Like his 162 game average, 32 home runs, 102 runs driven in. Um, yeah, his age his age 40 season. He only played in 27 games, but yeah, he I mean he played till he was 40, and the last few years weren't spectacular, but still, I mean he hit 30 30 home runs as a 38 year old. So say that, that's say, incredible. Yeah, say that that he, what you will. Yeah. Yeah, eight fifty eight OPS at thirty eight years old playing for the Cubs. Yep, he was. That's pretty spectacular. He's a guy. <laughs> yeah, career eight eighty six OPS. So like obviously, uh, in over across nineteen seasons, that is damn impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just that, but like man, extra base king. Like holy smokes, fifteen hundred career runs batted in. The man could That's hit. Yeah, the man could hit. He's in the Hall of Fame. I'm so freaking happy for him. Obviously, we've talked about uh, him before. He was a big part of, you know, the Jays transitioning into a contending team before he obviously uh, went to San Diego and then uh, eventually Atlanta where he won his title. Uh, super happy for him. Uh, let's leave it at that for the Hall of Fame, Justin. Um Talk me through. We've got two more segments to talk about here. Uh, let's talk about the big one. This is kind of the only real news that I could find. Uh, tell us about our favorite broadcaster. Yeah, so Buck Martinez sounds like he's going to be back in the booth for the Blue Jays. Uh, after Sportsnet announced the departure of Pat Tabler, we weren't too sure what was going to happen with Buck. It even had, he had almost, it almost seemed like he was hinting at the end of the year that he might be done, but uh, fortunately, that's not the case, and it sounds, I guess, it'll be Dan Schulman and Buck Martinez back in the booth. Not certain if they're going to make any other changes to the broadcast team, but uh, Bob Elliott tweeted that he heard his hearing that bro- broadcaster Buck Martinez will be back in the Blue Jay booth for the 2023 season. So that is nice to hear, and uh, we're not ready to say goodbye to Buck yet, so hopefully he's got another year or two left in him. I'd love to see him be around for this team to win something, you know? That would be... That'd be pretty awesome. Just a guy who was a player and then a manager and then a longtime broadcaster. It'd be great if he could uh, kind of bookend his career with a, with a successful Blue Jays season. So yeah, let's do it. For, let's win it for Buck. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if I recall correctly, mm-hmm. there was something about Dan Shulman uh, committing a little bit more like to more James yeah he's, games. he's not going to be doing espn radio games in the playoffs anymore he's basically said that he's going to be calling the blue jays playoff games for Sportsnet. so he's right. tapering off his work with espn in order to be a full-time blue jays broadcaster because in the, in the past few seasons when the blue jays have made the playoffs dan has not been in the booth it had been buck and pat which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just Dan's kind of the guy, so one of the best in the game. So I mean, it's always good to have a incredibly good broadcaster in your booth. So it'll be nice to have. It'll be nice to have that. Now the team's got to go out and win a lot of games, so we can get a lot of Shulman. Yeah. So it, 24 years with ESPN. Uh, he had an incredible career over there. Uh, he's still going to be doing college basketball in the United States, but for him, baseball. It's all about Toronto now, which is pretty awesome um man i still i 
I feel like I'm missing something here because for years we've had Dan, Pat, and Tabby, and I I still don't get the Tabby thing, man. I'm not trying to make a big deal about it, but like I just don't understand why. I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll see one of the bends in. Uh, doing the being the third man. I'd be shocked if they pulled Ben Wagner off of the. No, they the won't radio. pull. He's, what he's about way too good. Ben Shulman. Mm, that would that would surprise me. I would more. That's I a think, big call. I think up. I could more <laughs> see Joe Siddle doing more TV work rather than just being on Blue Jays Central desk. I could see him more moving more into the Pat Tabler role. Especially if they're gonna if they're gonna stick with a two man crew, I think you'll you'll definitely see Buck and, and and Dan most of the time. But if one of those guys is say on on a break or they have a family event to go to, whatever it may be, then you could see Joe Siddle in the booth more often, or they could even go with a three man team that they've done in the past. Um, I don't know. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see what what happens come spring training and and when they make more announcements about the broadcast crew. But I could honestly see. I would and I wouldn't be mad if if Joe was in the booth more often. I think he does a great job on the desk, so I'd uh, I'd like to see him get a bit more of a role. I'm curious because Jamie uh, Campbell was going through also going through uh, cancer treatment last year, was he not? Yeah, and I think his his was leukemia, I believe, and that's typically more of a long term thing. And for a lot of people, it's something that you just manage for your entire life with medication. So leukemia is the cancer of the blood, of course, and I mean that's it's tough to get rid of. Um, but it, it's one of the more manageable forms of cancer as long as it's caught early enough to treat it. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not I can't comment on his situation, but just from personal experience, knowing people who have had leukemia for 10, 15, 20 years in some cases, and it's just something that they medicate for. And um, but yeah, I don't know how, what what Jamie's specific case is, of course. I get the sense that they were looking to transition into a younger team, like a younger broadcasting team, because that's the only reason I can think of why you would get rid of Tabby. I, I just can't understand it. Any I don't know if I, would, if I would speculate like on that, but yeah, maybe you're right. I don't know. I, I was just really confused, but like, I'm excited to see more Dan and I'm excited to see how Buck fits into all of this. And obviously we still got Hazel. And uh, we still have Arash Madani. Um, but, you know, overall, pretty good team. I'm excited uh, yeah. for the for the broadcasts for next year. Yeah, every time there's always those posts on Reddit about, like, oh, who has the best broadcast team, our, our guys always get a shout-out. Um, do even do you think go, we have the best broadcast I don't team? Think they, I don't think we have. I don't know if we have the best, but there are some really good broadcast teams out there. Um, the Cardinals have a great mm -hmm. broadcast team, and they always seem to do well. But I, I think that... We're, we're biased, of course, as we, we always get the same broadcasters. And we no matter where our team is, we always get the same feed and the same network broadcasting every game. Um, so I, I think that we do we do have great broadcasters. By a, I would say that uh, our broadcasters do a great job of talking about both teams. Whereas when in the past we've had to watch other broadcasts, Let's say if, if the sports sometimes the Sportsnet feed in the past has been glitched out and they have to transition and they put you on the Tigers broadcast or, or during spring training even and they don't have their announcers there and listening to them they they don't talk about both teams a lot they'll focus on 
the home team, right? And not talk about the both sides of the ball, and they'll be like, oh, they, and the, and the facts that they say about the Blue Jays players is often wrong. Whereas with <laughs> our folks, I find even though sometimes Buck doesn't know how to pronounce a player's name correctly, um, they still they still make an effort to give great coverage and great anecdotes or stories about players on the opposite team and i think i i know i I as a baseball fan appreciate that so i hope other people do as well i think so too i yeah i I think we've got one of the best uh, broadcast teams i like our mix obviously they're you know all the way up to the including this year including tabby pretty heavy dose of experienced players being a part of the broadcast team between tabby siddle buck Caleb and, Joseph, uh, Ca- Caleb <laughs> Joseph also being a part of it as well. So a very uh, healthy uh, mix of, uh, of of players, and then also someone like Dan Schulman, who I think is the very tippy top. Yeah, uh, uh, You know, in the game right now for uh, for play by plays for baseball and basketball, but that's a separate podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I digress, though. Uh, yeah. Really excited for 2023 and seeing how the Jays do. I'm sure it will require a lot of antacids down the stretch, <laughs> uh, but I'm happy to have Buck back on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, always, I always look forward to getting just like incredibly emotionally charged, nervous messages from you in our chat. <laughs> and then I'm just sitting there. I just, sometimes I just let you talk. Cause I know you, I, I don't even bother replying to the first one. Cause I know 10 seconds later, a second one's coming through. So I just, I let you get, get it out of your system. And then I'll reply back with like some like two word comment, like calm down or something. <laughs> or like, you're so emotional. <laughs> yeah. Like take a breath, <laughs> walk away. Yeah. And then it's always like, you're always like, yeah, I know. I know <laughs> you're definitely the, uh, the heart on your sleeve fan out of the two of us anyway <laughs> yeah I, I would say yeah definitely i run a little bit warmer um but that being said there's nothing wrong with that i no, mean no, within not at all. reason just, I think. Uh, within reason good to have uh a mix i guess i'd say differing um yeah differing opinions and demeanors on the team here i would also say that i'm also probably the one quicker to criticize yeah i, w- I look forward to the inevitable um blow it up game when the team is losing bad and yeah blow it up trade Bo, trade vlad trade manoa <laughs> sell everybody okay to be fair i don't think i've ever actually officially you've, you've never meant it when you say it it's always yeah. as as like a joke so yeah we have fun here at <laughs> bfmd do. the last the last thing that we'll talk about today yeah. uh I, there was an interesting uh, thing that was posted on the subreddit for uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, mm-hmm. which was uh, somebody overlaid the new estimated uh, dimensions of the revamped uh, outfield wall, yeah, outfield wall for the Rogers Center, and they overlaid it over the spray chart for second baseman, outfielder, bench guy, uh, fully vaccinated, uh, Whit Merrifield. <laughs> Yeah, and it was kind of interesting to me. I took a look at it, and I was kind of surprised uh, looking at uh, these new dimensions and and connecting the the dots, so to speak, as far as uh, how it would look. And um, I found it really interesting. Uh, Justin, yeah. I asked you to prepare to, for this because I know that you were more sold on the Whitmerryfield trade uh, than I was. Talk me mm-hmm. through this. 
Are we sure. are we about to see a Whit Merrifield renaissance with him playing a full season here in Toronto, getting more opportunities to take advantage of the very hitter-friendly park that is Rogers Center, as opposed to the middle-of-the-road field that is Kauffman Stadium and in Kansas City? Before before I go any further, I also want to kind of refute that statement a little bit. Um, in the past, Rogers Center has been seen as a hitter-friendly ballpark. It's actually graded out very average on everything except for home runs. It does give up more home runs than other ballparks, but overall, it's it's very middle of the road for hitters. Mm. It's a home run-friendly ballpark, but I wouldn't call it a hitter-friendly ballpark. It may more so be that now, but we don't fully know what the dimensions are going to be or how high the wall is going to be because the wall is rumored to be significantly higher due to the having the raised bullpens. Um, so we're not quite sure how tall the fence is going to be, and that will also impact, especially a lot of those low-piss missiles that Vlad hits. Um, yeah. Some of them may now be wall bangers instead of wall scrapers. Um, so we'll see. But Love the thud of wall bangers. Oh, man, especially when <laughs> Vlad hits them. <laughs> He's going to break a few things. They might have to make sure the wall's re- double reinforced. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Whit Merrifield's interesting. And you said, could it be a Whit Merrifield renaissance this year? And I almost think we saw Whit Merrifield renaissance in the second half of last year once he came to Toronto. I mean, if you look if you look at his statistics with the Blue Jays, I mean, his OPS was just below 800 with the Blue Jays. That's uh, with, still pretty good. That's very good. Last year, a 700 OPS was good in baseball with how offense died. And when he was with Kansas City, it was below 700. He had a 79 WRC plus, the weighted runs created stat. So he was 21% below average with Kansas City, but a 119, 19% above with the Blue Jays. So that's what his full season in 2018 was when he led baseball in hits, by the way. It was a 119. That's his career best. He's yeah. a 102 career WRC plus guy. He's not a huge um, offensive monster, but... He can steal bases, Patrick. I know you like that. Yep. And there was actually, coincidentally, that we're doing this episode today. We almost didn't with the power issues you were having. But <laughs> uh, thank you, Wind in Halifax. But he, there was an interesting article that came out on Fangraphs called Whit Merrifield, the King of Stealing Third. And Whit Merrifield's, uh, among active players, Patrick, Almost a third of his stolen bases. He has 53 steals of third base in his career. 31.4% um, of his total steals are steals of third base. And he has succeeded on stealing third base 91.7% of his attempts. What? He is just, he gets a very good jump. That's absurd. Going to third. Last year, he didn't steal as much, and he did not have an attempt of stealing third base no. with the Blue Jays, but. It's noted in the article that the Blue Jays had the best offense in the second half, so stolen bases weren't really a huge part because they were just mashing everything. Um, but, yeah, looking at it in total, I mean, if you look at the like the all-time kind of the modern – they call it the modern greats. Like Rajay Davis stole third base 114 times. We, he's a blue, former Blue Jay as well. That was just under 28% of his total stolen bases. Nobody else – in the modern era has a stolen base rate of over of third base of over 30% of their total steals. Whitmerfield's at 31.4 and only Carlos Beltran um, has a has almost as high of success rate at 90.2. Uh, 
Willie Tavares, who um, stole t- third base 24 times, had a 96% uh, third base stolen rate. But Merrifield has more than double of his stolen bases of third. So it's just one of those weird things where um, out of total stolen bases last year, like uh, it was about, I think it was just about uh, 12.5% of total stolen bases were of third base. And that's yeah. fallen quite a bit. It actually peaked back in like 2018. Uh, at like f- almost 15% of total stolen bases. And that's because of Merrifield. He actually had 16 that year. Um, and he had 16 stolen bases of third in 2021 as well. So he's only, he's one of only nine players in the last, in this, in this current century who have stolen third base at least 15 times in a season. So, and one of only four to do it twice. So the guy just, for some reason, he's good at stealing third. And he's also good at stealing second. I mean, Back in 2021, one full season ago, he stole 40 total bases in 44 attempts. He was only caught four times. He yeah, stole I think he was 40 dealing bases. W- with perpetual injuries. There was issues. some injury the last couple of years. That's correct. Yeah, in, late in 2021, and then also early. he actually played a full season. He played in every game in 2021. Uh, in 2022, he played in 139 games. But yeah, I think he's had kind of some lingering, na- kind of nagging things in his hip and his knees. Is what I was doing a bit of research and that's kind of what i found but it sounds like that's kind of a non-issue anymore and we saw him steal some bases with toronto and i mean he is 34 now so he's not as young as he was so i'm not i'm not expecting him to steal 40 bases but if he only steals 20 or 25 this year that's that's a big deal incredible asset to have and it should be noted too i mean he's a right-handed batter but he he actually does hit right-handed pitching better than left-handed pitching overall his average is higher against righties than lefties that was last season i mean if we look at um career splits it's pretty even he hits 283 against righties and 293 against lefties for his career so last year kind of went against the norms a bit and people are probably like oh justin i looked at his baseball savant page he has a lot of blue numbers he's had blue numbers his whole career if you go like i said if you go back to the year's where he led baseball in hits like 2019 there's there were more blue numbers on his savant page in terms of like low exit velocity low barrel percentage low hard hit like the numbers were lower than they were this past season for the most part some of them were he's a contact hitter though he's a contact guy he was 85th percent in a percentile in strikeouts last year he does not strike out a ton he doesn't whiff a ton He's 89th percentile and outs above average. He was a respectable above average outfielder for most of his playing time last year. He's just yeah. one of those guys. He's essentially Kevin Biggio with batting average. <laughs> uh, Biggio obviously is a left-handed version of Whit Merrifield, but has a lower batting average. We'll talk about Biggio another time if he's not, especially if he gets traded, which is kind of rumored right now. Yeah. But Merrifield is really he's gonna he and i don't see how he is not the starting second baseman on this team um respect to santiago espinal who's an incredible defender in his own right i think espinal is in my opinion firmly on the bench this year he's gonna i think he's going to get a fair amount of playing time because there will be days when merrifield's gonna move into right or left field or even center field if kiermeyer's off or if varsho like if they say they're facing a tough lefty and one of Varsho or Kiermaier's not in there, uh, that's where you'll see Merrifield out in, in right or center field along with Springer in one of those two positions, and you'll see a guy like Espinal draw in against the lefty. 
Um, conversely, I think Biagio is going to get lots of playing time against right-handed pitching as the lefty on the bench. So uh, th- th- we've talked about this before in our roster preview a couple episodes ago, but I think there's going to be plenty of playing time for all of these guys. But I think out of the three of Merrifield, Espinal, and Biggio, I think Merrifield is by far and away the guy who gets more playing time. Um, just because of the fact that he, I think, has a better has a better track record than Espinal and Biggio, of course, as a multiple-time all-star and a guy who's led the league in hits a couple times. I think he's incredibly valuable at that bottom end of the order. A guy you can pinch hit for if you need it as well, too. Um, but yeah, I'm... I'm genuinely curious to see how these new dimensions will affect him. I think they'll also have a great effect on on Kevin Biggio and Espinal as well, too, because Espinal does hit a fair amount of line drives. And with the shift being changed, those rules being changed, I think guys like Biggio and other left-handers like him are going to have better seasons than they have in the past, batting average-wise, because a lot of balls they, that they were hitting into the shift will now go as ground balls or base hits into right field. So this year... I'm I'm expecting an offensive res- renaissance across baseball, with the shift yep. rules changing. Th- that's yep. That's a big. It's a bit had a big impact. Like you you can look at yep. the numbers in the past few seasons league wide since the shift started becoming more more prevalent, and uh, prevalent. And the Jays were the team who shifted the most last year on defense. And their four man outfield is not going to be able to happen anymore. And that stole a bunch of hits last year. But that but we also like as a result of that I think or anticipating that we dramatically improved our defense. Exactly. Yeah. And and, and so. by changing the dimensions of Rogers Center, I mean if if right center field truly is coming in and left center field as much as they say it is, and even center field's supposed to be maybe can be coming in four feet, like the ballpark is much smaller, there's less ground to cover in the outfield. There may be some there'll be a few different angles. I'm not sure how the curvature because there's the the wall where the bullpens are going to be is supposed to kind of curve in towards the field a little bit instead of being like a perfect yeah kind of curve all the way around the outfield wall there'll be some more angles to play on so it will be an adjustment for a lot of these guys i mean for varsho and varsho especially i mean he's it's a brand new park team in general kiermeyer's played their lots as a ray so it won't be as big of a thing for him but these guys are all pros uh and I think Merrifield's going to be a guy who fits in there as well. He's used to playing in a big outfield in Kansas City when he was out there. Yep. And uh, having his versatility, the fact that he can play center field um, is incredibly valuable. And I, I, I think he'll be in the lineup at minimum three out of five days, maybe even four out of five, just because of how versatile he is and how he performed in the second half. Like, it's it was hard to argue with those numbers. I mean, his time with the Blue Jays, he hit 281. Um, overall, last season, he only hit 250. But, I mean, you don't really care what he did <laughs> with Kansas City. You're looking what he did with you. And, yeah, yeah, like, his his strikeout rate went up a little bit. But, I mean, the Blue Jays are an aggressive team. He was no longer hitting near the top of the order like he was in Kansas City. So, he could kind of let it loose a bit. There were guys on base for him more often. He was able to drive in some runs. Like, it's... It's really going to be interesting to see how his approach carries over into 2023, and we've never really we've never seen him in spring training. So I'm I'm curious to see just kind of what kind of workload he's going to get early on, um, how much playing time he gets at in the outfield in spring training is going to be interesting to me, because I think that'll really tell us how the Blue Jays are going to manage the platoon situation with righties and lefties. Um, it, there's a lot. There's a lot to look at, and I mean, even though we know that the lineup and the roster are pretty much set on the position player side now, except for maybe one spot, 
it's going to be interesting to see how they manage the lineups now. But I think, I, in my opinion, I don't know how anybody can argue against it, but I think Merrifield's in there most of the time. Yeah, barring injuries, I yes. think you've sold me on it. The thing I'm concerned about at this point is I, I'm very pro Santiago Espinal, and I think there's <laughs> enough of a performance now to back up what I've said in the past about Santiago Espinal. Yeah. I think it's fair. He had a pretty good season last year. Definitely half. a strong first half. The yeah, second half, second half is tough. the concern. And I mean, for me, it's him and Merrifield were kind of the opposite player last year where Espinal started off relatively strong and then he faded a little bit in the second half. He started to fade before this, before the all-star break, even though the all-star break is kind of just over halfway, you know, but I mean, the second half of the season, he didn't get as much playing time because they brought Merrifield over uh, for one thing. And also he wasn't hitting as well. Whereas Merrifield really decided, you know, like I'm, I'm turning it up in the second half as, as a blue Jay. And it earned him a lot more playing time down the stretch. He was one of the better offensive players in the team, uh, especially in September, along with Bo Bichette. Like, I mean, Merrifield hit 295 over the last two months of the season with in September and October and 291 in August. So they got exactly what they wanted with him when he came over. Like, he did an incredible job for the Blue Jays. I get the sense, though, like when I look at the, the way this team is constructed, I don't know how, how much more control do we have for Merrifield? Is, it, is this the last year? Yeah, I believe his... Uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a team there's a team option this year and next year has a mutual option oh, um i'll grab the terms on that uh while you're talking about that i'll get yeah. to my point anyway but it's just kind of interesting to me i know espinal has control but he's in arbitration years at this point which means uh he's only going to end up costing more and if he's a bench bat uh or like a bench player like i just i don't see it the out. same way though What's that? Kevin Biggio is the same way. He's getting more expensive every year too. But that's the thing is back. like they can't. They're not going to retain all three of these guys. So I feel like this is like the show me year. Yeah. Uh, somebody is going. They're going to retain one of Biggio yeah, and so, all, and Maryfield <laughs> could be. Who knows? Yeah. Here's but, the. Um, this is the the option for Maryfield next year. It Spotrac has it as a mutual, eighteen million dollar option. Now, Merrifield's getting 6.75 base salary this year. Now, a lot of the, I believe it looks like a lot of his salary for next year would almost be like a signing bonus because it says the, like the luxury tax salary is only 4 million next year. So I'm not really sure how that's all working out, but the buyout on it is 500,000. So, I mean, hmm. I'm guessing that's the route that they go. <laughs> I don't know exactly the terms on this because it's, it's kind of confusing looking at it, and I'm trying to decipher that now. But it does say it's an $18 million base salary, but the luxury cool. tax salary is only $4 million versus the 8.8 that it is this year. It's just yeah, weird. I see what you're saying. Depends how the contract is structured, I guess. you know. But I can see it being uh, – that's a relatively secure buyout for me uh, because unless Merrifield has an MVP level of season, he's not worth – 18 million, 18 million so. dollars yeah yeah but i mean it doesn't mean that they wouldn't re-sign him um no 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 no, no, no. I, i'm just saying like it's that's a, that's too that, big of an option <laughs> that position like the second base position is kind of there yeah. it's weird because and look on one hand it's a log jam on the other hand there's nobody in my opinion 
who stands out as like, yep, you can say that's locked up for years to come. Like we don't have that player. Yet. Yeah, and that's that. That's gonna be my next point too. Is between the three of them with, again with Biggio, Espinal, and Merrifield. Who I think whomever has the better season this year, out of Biggio and Espinal, maybe the incumbent in twenty twenty four, depending on how the other players do. Like let's say Biggio or Espinal, if one of them has a poor season and the other one has an average or above average season that guy who performs worse is looking at a bench role in, in the coming years as well. And if Merrifield ends up being gone after this season, then I mean, whoever performs better at a Biggio and Espinal is maybe the second baseman for the year, the year after that, you know, okay. it's, it's hard to say. I, I, I do want to point out that I, I feel like Espinal's position on this team is probably more secure than Kevin Biggio based on previous performance. And because Espinal is the only shortstop backup on the team. So, so yeah, but I mean, remember, at some point, Orelvis Martinez has to shit or get off the pod. And yeah, he's still... There's other, there's other players who eventually will graduate into that role. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like Espinal has done enough to say that he's... Even if he has a tough season and Biggio has an average season, Espinal would still more likely be favored, yeah. right? I don't, I don't know if I, like, I don't agree with that as much. I'm, I, I like Santiago Espinal. Um, I also like having Biggio. I have a Biggio jersey, but I wouldn't say that I favor one of them over the other. And I don't, I don't view Espinal as highly as you do. <laughs> I, it's one of those situations where like, we as fans, we, we like our players. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's Espinal is a, is a, is a, is a very good defensive second baseman. He's shown some flashes offensively, but for me, he just hasn't shown enough for me to say he's an everyday player. I see him as a bench player for his whole career, which isn't a bad thing. There's a lot of very good major league baseball players who have been, backups for the entire career and have won multiple world series championships and been key parts on teams and they're the guys who step in when somebody inevitably can't play in a game you know yeah the thing is it's coming to a head though because they're both getting more expensive as time goes on yeah i mean but espinal still has three more years of arbitration 24 25 and 26 before he's a before he's a free agent so you're not really too worried about that aspect of his game yet um i wouldn't say that's even really a consideration at this point abigio is much closer to abigio is one last year yeah he has 2024 and 20 so he has 2023 2024 and 2025 so he has this current season plus two more and he's already more expensive as before well. he's arbitration eligible so yeah, yeah he's the two of them are relatively in my like i mean espinal is getting paid seven hundred thousand less than Biggio this year so it's not it's not a huge difference they're both under three million but I mean, it's uh, yeah. Biggio's definitely has less time, just factually, <laughs> of control with one less year. But I mean, b- neither of them, I don't think you're in a consideration. They, n- neither of these guys are guys you're gonna lock up long term. They're they'd be guys who you'd maybe sign a three year deal with, you know. And I think they know that. Like, there's no way you, that Santiago Espinal is going out there expecting an eight year deal, you know. Uh, all right. Without player. looking, I want you to guess which one of them has the higher career WRC plus. It's I know it's Espinal. It's very slight though. Yeah. 
I know it's Espinal because I was. I expected it, it to be uh, a slightly larger of a gap. I was wrong. Yeah, I mean, uh, Biggio's... the career wins above replacement is definitely uh, a, a larger gap, but yes. it goes Espinal ninety nine, Biggio ninety seven. That's pretty good for two bench bats. Yeah, and I mean, you look at their their kind of playing time. Biggio has uh, an extra four hundred, almost five hundred plate appearances over Espinal, so. In terms of like contributions per plate appearance, you could say Espinal has been better in his three seasons in in, in the that's big my argument. Two full seasons, that's, yeah, that's no, the I, one I, I make, and I 100 percent agree with you there. Like it's impossible for me to dispute Biggio's missed time with injury the past two years. Batting um, average has declined, so since that's his definitely debut. yeah. So, I, but I mean, this is the year for for Biggio to kind of prove people wrong, and I mean, with the shift being gone, it's going to be interesting to see how lefties around baseball kind of recover, I guess you could say. Their, yeah, their I'm here for averages. it. Yeah, yeah. And Biggio it, actually did <laughs> Biggio actually did have an improvement in his performance, even though his strike uh, strikeout rate did go up and his yeah. batting average did go down and his OVP did go down and his slug remained close to the same. Uh, he wasn't a negative value defensive player like nope. he was in yeah, 2021. Yeah, he was not playing third base anymore. Yeah, well, thank God. Um, <laughs> uh, offensively, he also wasn't a negative value to, uh, player like he was last year, mm -hmm. which is weird because all of the stats that matter got worse, but yet he's not a negative value def uh, uh, offensive player anymore. So he, he did a, he did accumulate 1.3 wins above replacement in his 97 games and 303 yeah. played appearances, while Espinal... Uh, had 491 plate appearances and had a 2.3 wins above replacement. BGO undoubtedly has more pop than Santiago Espinal does. Yeah. Uh, and there's more potential for runs batted in. However, um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, Santiago I... just gets on base more, but then at the same time, too, when Cavan... If Cavan's not injured, uh, I, <laughs> I feel mean, like he would steal more bases. Yeah, their on-base percentages were different by four points last year, so I don't know if I'd really say one gets on more than the other. It's pretty much a wash. Yeah. How they get on base is much different. I was just going to say, yeah. do we care whether or not it's a walk or a single? No, it's, it ends we up do being not. the same thing. It's Yeah, we it's, do not. You're on base regardless of how you get there. Whether you a get single hit, will hit score more runs. Like, sure. you'll drive in more yep. runs for sure. And that's yep. what Santiago Espinal did better than Kevin Biggio last year. You're right. However, yep. however, Santiago Espinal uh, had almost 200 more plate appearances last year and only had one more home run. Yeah. And... So. That part we do care about. So I'm not just going to, you know, I'm not trying to sandbag Kevin Biggio yeah, here. He clearly has more power capability. Yeah, they're both incredibly valuable bench and roster depth guys who are going to get plenty of playing time. They, they may both still get 400-plus at-bats this year. I think there's, there's, there's still well, there's plenty of at-bats to go around with the way that this team is, is structured, with, with the balance, the more balance between righties and lefties now now you've got belt biggio Kiermeyer, and varsho as left-handed bats yeah you've we got those four guys so and two of them can play first base in biggio and belt two of them are primary outfielders and Kiermeyer and varsho varsho can also catch and then biggio <laughs> can play second base and outfield as well too so i mean the, the lefties that you do have have tremendous utility um 
and there, th- I think there's plenty of playing time for all of them. And if one of them is performing better, there's plenty of DH time for for whomever is hitting the most out of Biggio and Belt, because uh, Varsho and Kiermaier are obviously going to start most of the time. Uh, and then there's the Merrifield of it all, and I'm yeah. really excited <laughs> to see what happens because I feel like you're right. After kind of deconstructing the second base position here, like way yeah. more than I thought we were going to tonight, <laughs> uh, which is fine. Uh, I feel like Whit Merrifield is a much more important piece to this team than I had initially thought. Yeah, it's we're we're very fortunate this year going into the season with a well-defined bench. Like gone are the days say, yeah. of, the, of the Bradley Zimmers, right? Like there's no Bradley Zimmer on the bench. There's no Ghost K Kato on the bench. Like if you look back at the kind of the lineups that were being trotted out back in April of this team last year, like there was a lot of poo poo on those lineups, like compared to what there will be now. As of now, there's there's nobody on this team who if they're in the lineup i'm like i'm groaning like there's no zach collins on this team anymore like you know your catchers are solid and i mean your third catcher is your starting outfield your starting left fielder who can hit 30 home runs this year or more depending on how he plays but it's like you you've the front office has done a tremendous job of upgrading positions of weakness on this team and I mean, yes, we lost Guriel and Teoscar, and we've talked about this before, but the folks that they brought in to replace them, there may be a bit of an offensive drop-off comparing like batting averages, but I mean, in terms of total contributions to the team, I think that's a net positive with the defensive upgrades, especially with the outfield dimensions changing and maybe being a little bit more tricky to play. Um, you need that speed and, and that sure-handedness out there and the arm strength of our show and Kiermaier as well, too. Um, it's definitely a bonus. And then having... W- when, you're, when your bench, Patrick, is Biggio, Espinal, Merrifield, Belt, and then whoever else makes this team, or Jansen or Kirk, whoever is not catching that day, like you've got guys who could be everyday players on a lot of teams on your bench. It's a good time. This is the deepest I think our team has been in quite some time. Yeah, I would agree. Maybe with that. more so than 2015 and 2016. It's, now we just need to see them. Yeah, it's deep to start the, the season for once. It's not. It's not waiting until the trade deadline, three months into the season or four months into the season, to make those moves to get deeper. It's it's deep from the beginning, and that's how teams get off to good starts in baseball. They, they've got guys who can play every day. They've got the guys right behind them who can step in as needed. Um, it's, it's, it's a good team. It's a very good baseball team. That's probably a good way to cap it off, unless you have any final thoughts you want to I've got add. nothing. I've, I've talked enough today. <laughs> <laughs> Same for me, if you like what we do, at BFMD Podcast, website bfmdpodcast.com. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, or, or uh, sorry, Apple, uh, <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. You know the, the usual haunts. Anchor. Um, yeah, this, w- this was a good episode. I feel a lot better now thinking about our bench. And now we just need news to talk about. Otherwise, yeah. we're just sort of playing with stats over and over. Yeah, the, the next the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll get more details on uh, WBC stuff as well, too. Uh, we know that Barrios and Vladi are both playing for their respective countries, uh, but we'll probably get 
maybe a few more Blue Jay announcements. I'm sure Jordan Romano is going to be on the Italian team when they announce their roster. And we don't know anything about the Canadian team yet. So there'll be some WBC stuff to talk about. And we're, uh, we are officially 29 days until spring training games start. So we're, th- we're within a month until baseball is being played again. And in a couple of weeks, that's right around, I, I think we're about uh, 20 days away from pitchers and catchers reporting. So it's it's getting there, man. Like it's coming quick. Before we know it, it'll be uh, it'll be April, and there'll be baseball every day for six months. <laughs> yep, I love it's that. It's gonna be a good time. You know, what we didn't talk about last week was that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has a younger brother. Pablo yeah. signed with the Texas Rangers. Mm-hmm. That's fun. There's a bunch of Guerreros because Vlad Senior's a bit of a dog. So, oh, well, I didn't say that. But I did. I okay, <laughs> fine, fine. But uh, uh, yeah, for for Patrick out in Halifax, Justin here in Saskatoon. We will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>